I'm Jeff Wright, and welcome to the Blame to Fame podcast. As an entrepreneur, I have not only built an extremely successful business from scratch, but also employed thousands of men and women and helped them on their path to financial freedom. One of the most common themes for me and everyone else who has succeeded is that we never blame anyone and are aware that our success or failures fall solely on our shoulders. It was not until I hit rock bottom that I realized that only I alone could change my future. And on my podcast, you're going to hear the stories of successful folks who have gone from blame to fame in their own lives. I look forward to sharing my journey and great guests that will educate you about their path to success. Please join me each week on the Blame to Fame podcast. Okay, today I have got a couple of special guests. I have Brian Burge and Jason Richburg. They are the owners of GDFA, which stands for Good Fucking Design Advice. I love, I love that. And they have a book, Do the Fucking Work, Lowbrow Advice for High-Level Creativity. And it says, a source of inspiration for anyone who needs a gentle kick in the ass to start the journey or finish the job while celebrating the process of trying, learning, and failing. I fucking love that. Guys, welcome. I really appreciate you guys being on today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Great to be here. Uh, You know, a, a lot of people don't celebrate their failures, but, you know, we were talking earlier Um about how we, I was joking, how we all kind of Forrest Gump our way through life, how opportunities just happen. And a lot of those things happen because of our failures, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it takes, uh, you, you really have to, um, you, you really have to want something in life and have sort of a spark inside of you to be able to get back up after a failure. But you also have to be conscientious and be able to look at it honestly and make something out of it. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time that that, you know, they look at problems basically as problems where I look at them as opportunities, because, you know, typically whatever problem you have or whatever, uh, you know, whatever thing you got broadsided by that, you know, something you didn't see coming. I've had it happen in, in, in my business dozens of times, but some of the things that that happened to me that I thought was going to be the end of the world ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because we enjoy opportunities now that never would have happened if that fucking problem hadn't have come along. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people just choose not to look at it that way. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's also one of the things that we discovered is that it's it's very easy to recite the axioms of, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and keep going and stay motivated and all that. But what a lot of people, I think, particularly in uh, starting out for themselves and the entrepreneurial side of things, what they don't realize when they're running off of those axioms is that that means you you need to do that like a hundred times in a row, you know, like way, way after it's exhausting, way after it's discouraging you will have passed exhausting and discouraging a long time before you start hitting success. And that's the, that's where you kind of have to confront yourself and, you know, decide what you're made of. And that's when you start taking risks when you're at that level. Yeah. 
Um, there's a uh, there's a friend of mine uh, who lives here in Naples who has a lot of exotic cars, and he's probably 75 years old. And we have cars and coffee every Saturday. And I've got a couple of cars and I, I take them down there. Nothing like what he has. And he has actually the last Ford GT to roll off the line. Hmm. He ended up paying a million and a half for it. And somebody was asking him about the, the, the I forget what really the context of his question was, but it, it was about the price of cars or whatever. But what I heard my buddy say just resonated with me. It says, if you don't want to give a shit about what something costs, you can't give a shit about the clock. Mm, yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to look at the price, you got to stop looking at the clock. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Which is is really true because a lot of people, when they go on the entrepreneurial journey, especially if they worked in corporate America, which I work with corporate America, as you guys do, I, I never worked work for them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people make that jump, but they think that all the rules of, uh, that's in corporate America apply to entrepreneurs and they don't. No, yeah. no, not at all. People think, well, five o'clock, I'm going to go home. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, um, that's actually a, a really important aspect of the workshop experience that we provide. So we have a workshop that's called the art of risk taking, and um, you can find links to it from our Instagram account at gfda.co or at our website, which is at G or gfda.co. But um, so in our workshop, we're dealing with that corporate client. I, I have worked in the corporate world myself and I managed to survive the process, but um what, what we're doing is a lot of times we're addressing the corporate culture, which can promote this sort of uh, this job, this idea of a safety net job where if you just show up, you just do this bare minimum of, of success. You, you take your two weeks vacation, you know, you, you talk about the sports team or whatever's going on that, you know, the latest TV show, you get through that week. You go have your weekend and that's your life, you know, and a lot yeah. of people settle into that with the corporate world. But unfortunately, that's not leading to innovation. That's not going to lead to a really satisfying work experience. It's not going to lead to a really strong team. And so that um, culture is what we address in our workshops. And since, you know, we've we've really sort of hit the entrepreneurial side of things from every different angle and started over multiple times what one of the things that we do is try to help companies um, break their large organization down into small teams and help those small teams approach problem solving in a way that's really fun, really exciting. That um, one of the things in the entrepreneurial venture that you're going to find if you have a partner or a small group of partners is you run into conflicts a lot. It's really stressful. It's really hard. None of you know what the hell you're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. But you, you you have to get past that and you have to keep going. And so um, you as we were talking about earlier is learning from mistakes, you've got to learn from those conflicts as well. And you've become conscientious of your ego and your partner's egos and what kind of things you're good at, what they're good at. And you slowly but surely, if you're mature enough and healthy enough and you stick with it, you can sort roles out and you can begin to sort all of these problems, you can be, begin to turn them into a process. 
you yeah. begin to see your strengths, their strengths, and you begin to apply them to roles in a process. And you do that for a while, you begin to have success until after a certain amount of time of grinding and, and finding those small successes like that, you'll get to a point where you have this, um, you know, these superstar moments where you do something that's really successful or prominent or that gets attention or that a big client sees and, and wants to hire you. And that experience can come into the corporate environment. It is possible to do it. But one of the biggest things is leaders have to be kind of comfortable letting those things happen sometimes. And it takes a lot of strength on a leader's part to let people do those things. Do you find um, that when you're consulting with these big corporations, because uh, I work with about 50 different insurance companies and uh, I, I'm, I, I sit in board meetings all the time with probably a dozen insurance companies. And the biggest problem that I see that, that all of these companies have, they have more drama than a high school. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We've oh my seen. God. And I wonder how the fuck do these people get anything done? <laughs> well, you know, we have uh, one of the axioms that we recite often, which uh, comes from, I've studied martial arts for a good portion of my life. And my, one of the things that my teacher has always said is the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so part of our process when we're working with these companies and we're, and we're doing these exercises is the exercises have absolutely nothing to do with anything any would, anybody would ever do in their daily life or their working life. Um, but because it's kind of like a sneaky way of, of getting to what the problems are, because when we do these exercises, those problems will come up and they'll manifest in different ways. And people don't think of them quite the same way as if they're like trying to accomplish something at work. So then when those problems arise and we're facilitating and we see them happening, then when we conclude the exercise, then we can talk about it and say like, Hey, you know, like you guys are, you know, you've got too many chiefs and not enough braves here. Like you've got to figure out who's going to be, who's going to lead this particular exercise and kind of follow that pathway. And most of the people, of course, I, I deal primarily with department heads. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it seems like not all of them, but the vast majority of the ones that I deal with, they they do anything and everything to um, to maintain or, or at least show the facade of some sort of relevance. Mm, yeah. No matter how insignificant it is. And it's it's like. I would hate to have to go to work every day just having to justify my fucking job. And that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like the in North Korea, the windows for the grocery store that have pictures of food, but they don't actually have food in the grocery store. Like, wouldn't it just be easier to out, like make the food, get the food in the grocery store? You know, I actually went over there 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. How, uh, how was that? I'm glad you made it back. Yeah, you know, it, it was uh, I was in China and uh, I found out that I, I could go um, and um, it, it was the most bizarre trip ever. I've been all over the world that this ranks as the most bizarre trip ever. We were there for four days and we um, we flew from uh, from Shanghai over there in this jalopy North Korean plane. As soon as you crossed over into North Korean airspace, they made you pull all the window shades down. You couldn't look out the window. You couldn't have any cameras. Uh, we were told to leave our phones 
in China, you know, any electronics, leave them there because they would confiscate them. And if they saw, uh, you know, anything they thought was inappropriate, they might put you in jail. So I basically went over there with nothing but some clothes. And uh, you couldn't go anywhere without any kind of uh, minders, any kind of chaperones. And in fact, the the hotel we stayed at in Pyongyang was supposed to be their their top hotel, which uh, is maybe a step above a Motel Six, if you remember those. Oh yeah. And uh, you know how you pull up to a hotel, you have the little pavilion there where you, where you pull mm-hmm. under. If we walked outside, we could not walk past that pavilion without a chaperone. Not one step, or they lock you up. We, <laughs> like I said, we were there for four days. I was really happy to get back. But yeah. yeah, but a valuable experience. I'm sure. I can check yeah. that one off the box because those those people over there have nothing. They have absolutely right. nothing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it, it's so when you when you did that, that was so you said you had the opportunity to go. Do you mean that like the opportunity came up and you just decided to take it? It wasn't any official business or anything no, like that? no, no, no. I had the opportunity to go with the tour group. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and uh, I live my life kind of the same way I run my business. I usually shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah. 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 I I don't know. And, you know, that's a lot of problems people have in business and whatnot is the fact that, you know, they, they suffer from that analysis paralysis. They do the research, which to me is just a glorified form of procrastination. Yeah. Is is really all it is. I, I I jump into it and just figure it out as I go. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't, um, you know, because they get involved in that procrastination and that analysis paralysis. Like they've they've forgotten the joy of like doing the thing that's yeah. that's really important. It's like it's really exciting and invigorating to do whatever the thing is and to actually start to execute, even when you screw up and when you fail. And I think that that's it's, it is one of the things that we try to impart to the people in our workshops is like it's it's so much more rewarding to to actually start to execute and to do things and to get involved and to pull you know it's like the the positive emotional experiences of being an entrepreneur is the ability to do that and so one trying to get the the people who are under management and leadership excited about that but then also trying to get leadership and management to understand that they need to provide the environment necessary to allow people to flourish that way and if you end up with people that you know, really fall in love with that and then leave your company because they want to start their own thing. Like that's a net benefit to you in the long run, because that means you've got really high performers and highly motivated people that are on your team and, you know, you'll cycle through them, but that's ultimately good for you rather than having a bunch of people that are ultimately there to punch the clock and they're not innovating and they're not excited about uh, being involved in the work that you're doing. Do you find, um, Brian, uh, that if people, uh, if the co- companies hire your services, um, it might be like joining a gym on New Year's Day. They make a resolution they're going to do better and they get all excited. You guys, you know, show them all these steps. And then after a while, they just kind of go back where they were. How, how many people actually stick with the program that you guys do? I'm not Brian, but I'm going to answer that question. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the answer is we may, we can make lasting changes in an organization. And of course, ultimately, uh, culture is is 
something that's sustained and it's something that's organic and it's something that's got to happen on its own. And nobody's, you can't force culture. Force culture is North Korea and nobody Mm -hmm. wants North Korea. And so um, on the one hand, there is only so much that we can do, but really and truly we do see lasting effects with our clients. We, we have follow-up reports with leadership down the road and they very, very often say to us things like, well, we see a couple of we see a couple of uh, repeating patterns, and one of the patterns is they will tell us is the people who were the biggest introverts before this workshop experience, like never came out of their office, came to work, went straight to their office, and left at the end of the day. They're like sitting with people at lunch and having conversations now, and it's like that never happened before. We hear that kind of thing very consistently. We also hear um, really consistently that. People who are in people who are in uh, different departments that before they weren't able to communicate effectively, they weren't able to see things from from the other department's point of view. For us, a lot of times it's going to be a marketing department, a sales department, and a creative department. You know, those two people have got so they've got parallel goals, but those goals can often conflict with one another, and the personality types that are drawn one way or the other can conflict. And after the workshop experience, we will often hear back that those departments are running like a sewing machine. And the thing is, is that our workshop is not, it's a really unconventional and non-traditional experience. We come at this from an angle that a lot of our clients are really shocked by whenever they get into the workshop. Do you put all the fuck signs in there? Uh, that we can't, fuck signs are optional. So okay. uh, we have clients that have asked us to go profanity free. And okay. so you know, we'll introduce ourselves. And after that, that's all the swear words. And usually what will happen is their team will swear the entire time, but that's their thing, you know? So, um, but when, when the workshop that we're providing, we're having people interact with each other and they're getting real and, these barriers are breaking down organically and they're seeing each other as they really are. And they're learning lessons that are a lot deeper than something from a workbook or um, there, there's not a lot of like filling out forms or anything in our workshop. Okay. You're active, you're solving real problems that we've constructed very carefully to bring these issues out and then help smooth them over. So because of that, because it's behavioral, there's a, a really, we have a really high retention from our workshop experience. That's not That's just great. Sales, we've seen this a lot. I was just, I was just thinking that uh, if someone, if someone told me no profanity, you know, in your business, I'd go, okay, no fucks given. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We, you know, it's a funny thing because, um, because of our brand at large, which, you know, we we're, we're, flirting with 500,000 Instagram followers at this point. And um, we're, we're really predominantly known for that Instagram content, that, that deep writing with the irreverent profanity. We, uh, we talk to human resources fairly regularly before we do a workshop, you know, they're, they're a little nervous about us. Yeah. There's always like quite yeah. a vetting process. And, you know, I can't tell you how often in the early days when we were lecturing, um, you know, even when we were just at like a university or something, that we'd always say like, Hey, everybody, they would say to us like, Hey, everybody's really excited, but there's just like one faculty member. This is one person in town. And it's like, that's, that's the person that works in HR, right? Like, you know, yeah. that's, we've transitioned out of the the smaller venues and into the corporate world. And it's like, Oh, HR has got to check with you. They want to have, you know, one quick phone call before we can, you know, sign on the dotted line and, you know, send you your down payment and all that. So yeah, it's, 
Yeah, uh, and and you guys do have a big Instagram following, and it's funny because you guys don't really put any videos up. It's it's just your broken broken all Instagrams algorithm that breaks all the rules, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does. I and love that. Um, and and on top of you know the numbers numbers are where they are, and a lot of people we work with and that we've been friends with over the years have come to us like, man, you don't realize how big of a deal this is, and. We're we're grateful for that success, certainly. But the part that matters the most is the response that we get from individuals. We've yeah. received I, truly more deep, meaningful replies from heartfelt replies from people than we can recall. And some of the messages we receive, they're really personal and they're they talk about really serious problems that they're having in life, like the most serious problems that a person can have in life. And they say that I read this and it really changed my outlook and it's, it was such an impact on me. I just wanted to thank you. And these come at this point, hundreds, you know, um, just from from the ether out there. And so I write the content and um, one, the goal that the goal that, that we've had as a brand and that I've had in the writing is just make it as, as meaningful as possible. Really try to get at something that comes from the human experience and that. Sure that so anybody can look at it and get, their, get a little bit of a different meaning from it and apply it to their lives. That's the goal of the writing. And that's what's made it popular. You know, it's the, the not doing videos is it's, you know, we don't, we don't follow the rules of Instagram. We follow the rules of, of having meaning in your life. And that's, that's worked for us. But when you get those DMS, because I get them too, isn't that really satisfying personally that, that you've oh, made definitely. an impact on someone. It is. It's also a little, um, for me, it can be a little uncomfortable too, because um, I I want to like, I want to use the writing to give something to people and to give something to the world. It's my work. You know, I want it to live on past me, but at the same time, it's, it's so you realize you got a lot of responsibility and that, you know, you, for me, it really, it really forces me to take what I do very seriously and to always try my best because I realize there are people out there that are really paying attention and yeah. it does have an impact. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take it lightly or be uh, not be mindful with what I'm doing. Yeah. And of course you get the haters too, but I, 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 oh, I, love, I love the haters. <laughs> yeah. They, they help increase our engagement. So right. I, absolutely, absolutely. They do. Look, I want to just anybody that's watching this podcast, if you don't like us, you don't like profanity, you don't like our message, by all means, please, please leave a comment on our yeah. post. We hate on us all you want. Right. Yeah. Does nothing yeah. but increase our, our engagement and, and make the algorithm spread it more. So. <laughs> yeah. The other, uh, I got a DM recently. I was, I was walking on the beach and which I do every day. And I, I pulled out my phone and uh, I, I was thinking about a friend of mine who had found out that his wife was cheating on him. And, and uh, he was asking me, should he take her back? And I said, no way in hell. Don't. And so I, I did a video and I said, if, if someone cheats on you, if they lie to you, if they steal to you from you, or if they stab you in the back, never let them back in because a snake only sheds its skin to become a bigger snake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I got at least 10 DMs from people 
saying uh, kind of the same thing. You know, you know, my my husband had cheated on me or my wife had or my my business partner, you know, was stealing from me or stabbed me in the back or whatever. And um, they were really trying to make up their mind. Should they take them back or not? And they said that really kind of helped make up their mind. So I was actually really proud of that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the sort of thing that, um, you know, we we haven't made a leap yet as a brand, I think, in terms of putting ourselves out in front of the brand a lot and having those sort of personal experiences. And, um, you know, it's it's a little uncomfortable having never done it before. The thought of it's a little bit uncomfortable, but um you know, it's obvious that those personal experiences, that's what people who are watching you, that's the lives they're living. You know, they're wrestling with a lot of the same things that you are. And it's such an important message now. I mean, we live in such a divided world, really and truly, particularly for young people. You've got to find a way to realize that the human condition truly is universal. And a lot of people are dealing with the same things that you're dealing with and struggling against it. And even if they're people you strongly disagree with that you really don't like and wish they weren't around, you need to understand that you're sharing a lot of the same struggles. And there's a lot you can learn from from people, even though you got big differences with them. But, you know, a lot of people say, well, people are different these days. I don't think they are. I don't think human nature has changed in 10,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it really hasn't. I honestly, I think one reason why there's all this divisiveness going on in the country, which actually I think that's more overblown than than what you might hear or see from media, social media, the, yeah. the news. I never watch it. Never. Yeah. Um, you know, social and, and even social media. I, I post a lot of stuff. I very seldom ever read it. Yeah, uh, but I, I I think it's blown up more than more than what it is because I travel a lot. I sit next to a lot of people on airplanes, and, and I really I, I I think most of the people that I that I talk to just total strangers. Uh, most of the people are kind of middle of the road, and and uh, they just want yeah. a good life, and that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I really think though, because we were talking about this the other day about all the divisiveness. I think the reason why that is one big reason is we really don't have a common enemy anymore. Mm -hmm. We really don't. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, when you can't find one outside, you find one inside, you find one inside and, you know, and and I'm not saying we, I'm not hoping something bad happens where we all have a common enemy. I'm not hoping that at all, but, but I think, I think it, you know, we really don't have one. So, you know, no news sells like bad news. So, you know, they I think a lot of this shit's just manufactured and, you know, created. And, uh, and it's sad because it, it 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 really it really handcuffs a lot of people, I think, yeah. into yeah. Uh, I, I was watching a video. Do you guys know who Tucker Max is? Not by the name. No. OK. Uh, he's an attorney. He wrote a hilarious book. Uh, years ago called assholes finish first that i think i've heard of yeah <laughs> and um and he he did this talk the other day about about um say whatever the fuck you want but right. he said you have to think of what those repercussions are if you do 
Mm-hmm. He was talking about when he had flown out to the venue he was at, uh, you know, the flight attendant uh, he didn't particularly like had done something, spilt a drink on him or something like that. He's like, I wanted to say, you, you know, fucking clumsy bitch, but I didn't want to be in handcuffs when, when I, when I landed in Arizona. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but, but the thing is though, um, I, I think, I think the biggest things that hold people back is they're afraid to say what they think and they put far more value on what other people's opinions of them are. And these are people that don't even, don't even care about them, but they're, they're, they're more concerned about those opinions. Um, You know, it's interesting because like talking about the corporate world, the entrepreneurial world, if, if someone is told to go to show up at work at eight o'clock, they're there at eight o'clock. If they're given a deadline by Friday, they're going to make that deadline. So they're keeping promises to people that really could give a shit less about them. But if they make themselves a promise, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start calling my mother every day. They always find an excuse not to do it. So why do you think people are, are, are so apt to, please other people that really don't care about them, but they just procrastinate and put off the promises they make to themselves, which should be the first ones that they honor. I think that um, I think one of the reasons for that is, you know, in the scenario where you've got a boss telling you what to do, you know, that there's going to be immediate repercussions for not doing those things. And we fool ourselves when we give ourselves deadlines and and objectives into thinking it's like, well, you know, I I don't have to be responsible to myself because I won't, I won't need to punish myself for not getting up at eight o'clock or not working out. But, but it's, it's, you're missing the long-term view of it. It's like, you are going to face those consequences. They're just not going to be immediate for you. They're going to be you know, I'm 60, 60 years old and, you know, my health is failing and you know, I've got all these personal problems and all of that's kind of happening because um, they sort of like slowly creep up on you. But like, you know, back to the boss scenario, like you do that for a couple of weeks, you're going to be out of a job and, you know, you you think like, oh, well, I need that money or whatever. You know? Yeah. Um, yesterday I was at a uh, I was at a store where I'm actually getting a new office and I was getting some office furniture in this this guy looked like he'd worked there a long time. He's like, Hey, today's not Friday. Is it? I said, no, tomorrow is. He says, Oh my God, I'll be so glad when Friday gets here. I fucking hate this place. I said, well, how <laughs> wow. long have you, been, how long have you been working here? 20 years. Uh, yeah. I said, yeah. well, if you hate it so bad, why don't you just quit? I said, everybody's wanting to hire someone. You wouldn't have any problems getting a job. Well, I guess I just don't hate it enough to quit. And, and, and I, and I think that I got to thinking about that driving, driving back to the office is a lot of people, they want to make a change in their career and their health or whatever, but it's not painful enough for them to, to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's, there are a lot of reasons why, um, it's for I think for a lot of people, probably for everybody to some extent, it's it's just so much more comfortable to ignore the stuff inside of you. And when you have a routine that can keep you alive and keep you relatively comfortable, 
it reinforces it's a positive reinforcement for not facing your the underlying reasons behind your behavior and if you're going to the the people generally in in my experience of what I've seen and you know the stuff I've tried to do in my own life the people who are going to show up to the gym consistently change their diet consistently um really really do all the tiny little painful things that are necessary to work for themselves or to learn a new skill or change their habits they they come to a really serious sort of uh look into a dark mirror of themselves a lot of the time and they really got to look at like why why is it i don't get off the couch and go to the gym why and yeah. you got to ask yourself that question why at this exact moment it's this time it's the time i know i'm supposed to be getting up and going to the gym i'm not getting off the couch you've got to look in and ask yourself why and you're probably going to feel a whole bunch of weird stuff from like childhood or something like that you know that's where it is for most people and the more you do that, though, the more the more you sort of like bring those parts of yourself out into the light and they become they become disarmed. And that there's there's really a lot of power in doing that. And and the important thing is, is that, you know, even if that particular day you haven't gone to the gym, you you had that introspection and you continue to do that. You're keeping yourself on the hook this tiny little bit. And as time passes, you can't stop looking at it. And after a while, that that leads to personal change. I mean, that's that's the thing that's got to happen, because at the end of the day, the the individual act of behavior isn't the problem. It's it's why you've behaved in that way, why yeah. you made that choice. And if you're not conscious of why you did it, you're never going to be able to change it. So a lot of that is people just don't want to have that. Face it, brutal conversation with themselves and going back to what you guys do uh how difficult is it to have these companies or the groups in the companies that you work with actually have those brutal conversations with each other because they have to have them otherwise nothing changes right well, it's really easy for us uh <laughs> it's, it's challenging for them uh well a lot of the so we we approach this very, very carefully and very thoughtfully. And so one of the things we're doing, and our brand allows us to do this, we're coming in from, from a place of, of humor and irreverence. And when we're warming everybody up at the beginning of the day, it's apparent to everybody that we're just there to have fun and that we don't take things very seriously. We make a lot of jokes and it's an informal experience and the exercises we do are um, like I said, they're really unconventional and they're unexpected and you're doing stuff that you don't think has anything to do with your, your, your work practices. And so we sort of trick people into doing, into having these revelations and they'll get through. So uh, generally in a, in a, in an oversimplification, the way we, we accomplish what we do is, some of our exercises are process-driven, and a process-driven exercise means that people have to fulfill roles, things have to happen in a certain, there, there's like a right and wrong way to do something to get to your end goal. Some teams, for various reasons, are going to do that better and be better prepared, and they will have accomplished the thing under time, whatever. We can talk about that, and we can ask about what the different roles were, and we can, we can analyze why that success happened. Other teams... Not only will they not get done in the time, they won't get done at all. 
And we can talk about that. You know, we can ask questions that we kind of already know where we're leading with it. They don't. And we'll talk about yeah. like. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we talk I'll, about why that success didn't happen and they reflect on that. And then other exercises we have are outcome driven, which means there isn't necessarily a right way to do it. You just got to get the thing done. And after we've had that chance for everybody to talk and reflect and be like, oh, yeah, we we didn't get the last thing done because I was a huge asshole and tried to tell everybody how to do it. When they get into that outcome driven process, they're like paying attention. It's like, oh, yeah, you tried to I realized last time you were trying to show that you this way of doing it. Let's listen to that now. And that it happens on its own and it ends up being really natural and comfortable for everybody. So it's it's kind of like a magic trick. That's the answer. You ever had anyone start crying or or just lose their shit? Uh, well, lose their shit's a very subjective term. <laughs> we, we, had, um, we had one client that we worked with that was like a small executive team. And, and back to the idea of the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So there's like maybe 15 people. And the owner of the company, um, we had one exercise that we do um, where they have to build something. And um, in the process of building something, the owner, rather than helping his team, went around to the other teams and stole parts from their build so that they couldn't finish it. And it was just, it was so like, again, the way you do anything. He wasn't being cute. No. He was seriously making sure his team would win. Right. And it's like, well, that, like imagine going to the office and that's the kind of environment that the, that the CEO is setting up for everybody to fighting your competitors and fighting fate well, and fighting the market, but you're fighting your leader to succeed. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a, there's good ways and bad ways to see that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah good ways and bad ways to seeing it. Um, yeah. I've, I've, um, when when I was when I was in college, we had a uh, we had a game. The class was a game. It was called uh, Problems of Business, and we they they split the class up in uh, in in five different groups, and we were running a business, and everything was going into these computer models. And honestly, I'm surprised somebody didn't get stabbed <laughs> during all that. Um, to date, how old I am. Um, I was the first, I was the only student in my class. I was one of the few students in Emory University that actually had a computer. Hmm. I, I bought one of those old Radio Shack uh, computers with a two floppy disk. Yeah. You know, the five and five and a quarter. Okay. I remember so, those. So we had to go to, uh, the, to the computer lab because, you know, nobody, very few people had a computer. And one guy saw how noticed how one of the guys on the other teams always laid his, his disc down on the desk in a certain place. He, he went and like duct taped a 10 pound magnet under the table. Not helpful. No, no, not helpful. For the young people, younger people in the world that erases the disc. It erases the disc. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, we, we also, so to get to the question about crying and losing her shit, like we we set up what I described with it sounds like sort of a very formalized process. And it is we have specific things that we're trying to accomplish there. But we also have times in the workshop where people are sort of um, really being able to, to do what they want to and be creative and 
step up on stage and just really have fun and step outside of their work persona. That's something we want to accomplish with the workshop. It's really necessary for culture building. And there, there's, for all of the pain points of seeing you've done something wrong, seeing it's your fault, seeing you've got to change, and in order for your team to be successful, you've got to think about things. That's very painful for some people. At the same time, you provide people an opportunity to be successful, just doing whatever they want to do. And it'll bring out the opposite emotions. They'll, you know, they'll just, they'll change inside of them. And, and after those experiences, people will come up to us and say, they will literally almost every workshop, somebody comes up to us and, and thanks us. And multiple people, usually they come up and thank us and say, I never would have done that. And I never would have gotten up in front of everybody in, in my normal work life. You gave me permission to do that. And I just feel like it's a complete, I feel like I'm going to go to work tomorrow and it's going to be, I'm starting my job for the first time. And there are tears, you know, people have got tears in their eyes when they're saying that stuff. And it goes back to, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the content creation and trying to have a, a human experience. You know, we all feel that stuff. It doesn't matter what your job is. Doesn't matter what your industry is. Our workshops, we've done them for small family-owned businesses. We've done them for Fortune 100s. We work with some of the highest performing creative teams at household brands. You work with Nike, right? We did. We work with the uh, Eakin division of Nike, which is their skunk works. I mean, that's like the the, the highest of the highest in terms of creative wow. performing teams in the corporate world. And we've also worked with big corporations like chemical companies and places that you would consider to have a really boring corporate culture. And because the, because the behavioral aspects of culture are so universal, they all have the, a very similar experience in these realizations and they feel the same emotions as a result of it. Sure. And it's, it's a great thing, you know, it's so rewarding and we just, we love it. We love every minute of it. Well, tell me about the products you guys sell. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of the things you have on Instagram, you guys are selling wall art and stuff like that. You can you can't read any of it, but there's a beautiful uh, storeroom esque display behind me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we've got um, you know we we started the company um, with one specific print, which we now refer to as the classic advice print, which has uh, a 25 different axioms at the time, you know, the company was much more focused on the, the graphic design background that, that we had. And, um, you know, when we, when we created that, it was in response to all the positive feedback that we got after we launched the website. And um, it started showing up in like really famous places. Um, the, the top of that would be um, Johnny Ive, who is the chief design officer for Apple designed the iPod and all those things. Wow. Um, he, there was a there was a New Yorker article that um, said he had two pieces of art in his office. One was a Banksy print, and one was the GFDA classic advice print. And wow. we knew, like he, we knew when that order came in. It was a couple years before that article came out, but it's sort of like you know customer privacy type thing. Like we, sure. his assistant had emailed us and said, "Hey, he wants one," and then one for all the senior design team. And we're like, "Oh wow, this is great!" And we shared it among friends and colleagues, but. Um, but then once that article came out and it was like public knowledge, it was just like sales for a period of time went through the roof. 
So uh, in, yeah. that, in, in practical terms, though, we carry the classic advice print, which is one of the more popular pieces. And we have a framed version of that that you can buy on the website. We also have a line of prints like the uh, It Takes Tenacity print here that are are fine art prints. They're, you know, very graphic designery, hand screen printed prints that are nice and we offer them framed. Um, then we also have a line of prints that are based off of our Instagram content. So every single one of our Instagram posts, you can buy that as a print in multiple sizes and multiple colors. And they're a print on demand product. So they're available all over the world. So anybody can buy one in probably just about any continent and have decent shipping rates on it, which is a big deal for us because our audience is so, so yeah, dispersed. Yeah. Except, except North Korea. Right. They, right. Uh, you, you, uh, I wouldn't buy one in North Korea if I were you, because that's, that might lead to some problems. <laughs> I wouldn't take one in either. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the original, the posters out. so yeah. it sounds like the original is the best seller. It's one of the top sellers. Actually, our book, Do the Fucking Work, Lowbrow Advice for High-Level Creativity, published by HarperCollins in 2019, uh, that's our top-selling product. We sell exponentially more of the book than probably anything else. Yeah. Wow. And do you guys um, do you, do you guys uh, sell – can they order a book where, where you guys would autograph the book for people? All of, all of the books available through our website are going to be signed. All okay. But they can go on Amazon or whatever, but those right. obviously are unsigned. Yeah, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, and and we places. don't get the money, so we don't want you to buy them from Amazon. Come <laughs> to our website. We're lovely people. We need money to pay our bills. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got a book on Amazon, and uh, they don't pay shit, do they? Well, we don't sell. We're not the seller on Amazon. So we don't. Yeah. They're, they're buying them wholesale from wherever and selling them on Amazon. We're, you know, we. We only get profit from the books that we sell because we haven't hit the um, the royalty so, minimums, right? So we don't get royalties yet. But um, okay, but we did. If you buy a book from our website, just know we touched all of them with our. You hands. touched all of them. Your yeah, fingerprints are on them. Yeah, lovingly, lovingly, lovingly. <laughs> I love that. So, guys, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, they can follow you on GFDA on Instagram. Yep. G, at gfda.co. That's our Instagram handle. We're about to spin up Twitter and some other social media stuff. We're catching up with the times here, but that stuff's not ready to go just yet. But yeah, Instagram's the best place. And um, then you can visit our website, www.gfda.co. Um, and there are plenty of links to email us from there if uh, anybody would like to reach out and, and get more of this these handsome, charming faces. Uh, we're happy to spend some time with you. Yeah, and 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 again, half a million followers. Yeah, thank you, um, everyone. Uh, and, and, and breaking all the rules That's to right. get half a million followers. Uh, and 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 I know there's no way you guys bought a single follower. So many we, people we, do. All of our growth is totally organic. We yeah. literally can't even advertise because of the profanity. We've That's never, incredible. we've never advertised. Not one time have we advertised on anything and all the growth is organic. Yeah. We've, it, we've tried multiple times, but it's always gets caught in the sensors. Yeah. And, 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 and like the New Yorker article, that's advertising money can't buy for sure right. Yeah, to have yeah. something like that. So man, congratulations. That, that, Thank you. that's Thank you. phenomenal. You guys should be super proud of yourselves. That's amazing. Yeah, we're very, we're very yeah. grateful. Yeah. Well, folks, 
give these guys a follow. Follow them on Instagram. Uh, I follow them, and I uh, they have got some great sayings on there, um, some great posts, and they're very relevant. By the way, they're not just funny; they they are relevant. And I do see how you are getting DMs where they are impacting people's lives because uh, you guys aren't just they're funny, but you guys aren't telling jokes. They get they they a lot of them do have some some true meaning. And uh, and that's refreshing, too. So I appreciate the, the work that you guys are doing. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank that's you. really humbling. And we appreciate you saying that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys so much for being on. We I learned a lot and uh, learned a lot about your company. And I got to order your book. So we'll make, we'll make, make sure you get one. We'll yeah, make sure one. you sign it. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. No I'll problem. Reach over there and grab one on one of the hundreds on the shelf. <laughs> All right, sounds good, guys. Thanks so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank yep. you for having us, Jeff. Thank you.